0: Have you ever wondered how the separate threads of your life fit in to one big picture? How the individual moments of challenge and triumph connect to one another to form the great meaning of your life? I am Anna Mullins, your Life Story Editor, and I'm convinced that making sense of our deepest pain can help us understand our deepest purpose. In my speaker training program and on this podcast, I help people weave together those confusing, often shameful pieces of their past, revealing the life-changing lessons that create their profound new story. Welcome to Unapologetic Stories, where secrets are out and the truth is in. Welcome back, storytellers. We have a very dynamic edit for you today that will cover a great deal of ground, which I am absolutely thrilled about. I love a well-rounded episode because my guest today has a very, very wide array of personal experience and professional wisdom. So we're going to try and cover it all. But another really cool thing about my guest today is that she is also a client of mine. And now I often describe myself as Chandler from Friends. No one ever really gets what exactly Chandler does. So today's episode also kind of selfishly gives me a chance to explain that to you a little bit more. And what I often say is I help humans, brands, and businesses who have stories to tell. What does that mean? I basically help storytellers tell their stories. And that becomes very vague, which is probably terrible marketing I knew, but I believe that everyone is a storyteller. Everyone is a storyteller. Every single person has a story. And when you care as much as I do and as much as my guest today does about that, it means that my job and my role is not to dictate to people what a story is, what their story is, or most importantly, what timing their story needs uh, and when it's right to tell it, but to really meet people where they are when that story is ready to be shared. And so that is what I do that's what i do. i meet people who are ready to share their story. and sometimes that shows up in speaker training programs as you know, when a story is ready for the stage and needs to be mined out and shined up and prepared. and other times it's when a powerful personal story becomes the catalyst for a new business idea or social platform that can and should really change the world. and that is the case with my guest today. She is Genu Kaylee. And while her day job is very fancy, director of operational analytics for a nonprofit women's organization, she's had a great deal of success in her professional career. She has also just launched her new brand and lifestyle website for women, genukaylee.com. We're super excited to be launching this through Unapologetic Stories, where she amplifies women's voices addresses women's issues, and empowers women's lives. If there was ever a mission more important, I'm not sure I know what it is. She shares her life at work, at home, and of course at heart through her philanthropic endeavors, and she does it all in a great deal of style. And she is here today to share with us her deeper why and what she is doing with that why out in the world now. Welcome, Genu Kaylee. Thank you. I'm so excited to be on here. I am so thrilled to have you. I've been thinking about ever since you kind of joined the Unapologetic Stories Circle, I've been dying to really kind of break through into your story a little bit and really share it with my audience. So this is my privilege and honor entirely. Now you are so passionate, Ginu, about women's rights, which is why you and I get along so well. Um, I kind of want, I, I didn't issue a big bio read at the beginning of this recording for a reason. I really wanted you to be the one to share your personal story and your background. So why don't you start by just telling us that story and what brought you to this work that we're currently doing?
1: For sure. So I grew up in a home filled with domestic violence. So um, I'm South Asian and this is quite normal in a lot of South Asian households, unfortunately, but In my particular case, my father was an alcoholic, so I was almost born right into this domestic violence situation. So from the age of zero to 18, I watched my mom really suffer through it. It wasn't until 18 when I left to go to university was the first time that I actually felt like what it was to be normal and not be in that situation on an everyday basis. Um, And that was probably my driving point of, growing up and seeing that and thinking I never want to be in this situation again. I don't want to raise my family in here. I don't want to raise my kids in here. And that's kind of was the first, I would say, story of what I realized that, wow, this really means something deeper to me. And then, um, and I would say that probably was hit home. Mm -hmm. And after that, it was definitely, I have two daughters. So being pregnant with my first daughter was um, really eye-opening to how, I was always a feminist, I would say at heart, but um, having her was my driving force. It was like kind of the fuel Mm -hmm. to the fire of like, you know what, this is so much more because every single move I make today is going to impact her. So that was, I would say, my driving force. And obviously now I have two daughters. So that's so important for me to make sure that I impact the next generation because I need to leave some good structure for them and I feel like the more I fight for women's rights the more I'm going to help them in the future along with my sisters my nieces um you know my friends children so that means so much more to me Mm. so I would say that's kind of my driving force of why women's issues and obviously um my personal situations all in between there as well of what I've gone through as a woman especially being in the corporate world which is still unfortunately um, a man's world. Um, As much as we wanna think that um, females have a place, um, they don't have a place at the top. Uh, And that's something that I wanna still fight for. Um, I've been on the other end. So now, yes, I work for a women's organization. Um, That was as of the last year, but prior to that, I was not in a women's organization.
0: Right. So this is, I I mean, I I promised a dynamic episode today, and this is why you can tell even just from this story, if you're listening already here, um, There's so much packed into this that really drives your personal mission, but also so much wisdom here that I'm really hoping to kind of garner from you from from the inside of that genius brain of yours. So let's start um, kind of, I want to go back a little bit to your upbringing. You shared that you obviously were part of a domestic violence situation. So what that meant for you was you were witnessing domestic violence in your home, Every single day. That's right. And something that you share on your website too, is that in your, or in this South Asian community, which was of course your lived experience, and I'm sure it does, it transcends that particular culture. However, you did share that even your mother was um, sort of a, I want to say almost like a home for other South Asian women at one point who were also coming to the table and sharing their own personal experiences with her about domestic violence. And it was like there was this community of women that you were listening to and watching growing up who were all admitting to being part of a very scary and dangerous household situation. What was that like for you?
1: To be honest, it was really scary to see how many people were impacted, that it was, You know, and the funny thing is, it it wasn't women that weren't strong. These are women that are independent. Um, Even my mother, she was the breadwinner of the family, very independent. Um, So it wasn't that they were even necessarily financially um, dependent on their spouse. But it was something that was so culturally embedded in that it's okay, just deal with it because you want to save face of society and you don't want to ruffle feathers. You don't want to be the, the one that's divorced. Um, wow. So it was really interesting to see how many people were impacted. That this was just okay and it was accepted. Um, and so I think for me it was like, wow, something needs to change here. Somebody needs to tell these people that it's not okay, um, and we we need to do something differently here.
0: Yeah. And did you take that responsibility on? as a young child thinking like, I'm the one that's going to have to change this?
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. As I got older, I definitely asked my mom, why are you staying in this? And really questioning it because obviously I saw that there's so much more to life than suffering this way. And um, that's when we started really getting deeper into the conversation. And like I said, when I left um, for university, at that point, I didn't think that I was actually never going to come back home. In the South Asian culture, you do not, first of all, it was very, at that time, like we're talking 10, 12 years ago now, actually, um, that it's it wasn't the norm for South Asian women to ever even live on their own. So I moved away for university. And it was definitely proposed that I was going to come back and stay with my parents until I was going to get married. And that didn't happen. So when I left, um, and I, it was time for me to come home, I had that conversation with my mom like you have either choice you, you can come live with me and i will support you or um, you can choose to live in this but i can't and i don't think it's healthy for you either this is a conversation you had with your own mother yeah and it was a hard conversation i am not going to say that it was easy i struggled um my mental health at that point broke down uh, just because my mom obviously took that really hard um, and and even my father at that point um of wow she's actually putting her foot down and um so I moved out on my own um never looked back and I didn't live with my parents after that and that was at 18 South Asian that's not something you do that's not the norm um and I had a lot of backlash not only from my family from the community I didn't really at that point I felt like I was very alone but I felt like it's what I needed to do to heal. Um, It was my first point of this is a boundary for me and I can't keep living this way. Um, And eventually my mom came around, but it was a very tough conversation, very tough time in my life. I don't think I'll ever forget that because it was hard on her too, right? Um, Because she started to kind of reflect a little bit of what's the best situation here.
0: okay. Okay. This is big though. And so you said you faced backlash from your community and certainly it sounds like there was a a distance that grew between you and your mother at that time while she was sort of reflecting and figuring out what are my next steps here. Talk to me a little bit about that backlash because I talk a lot about kind of shame and shame stigma and how to break that down. What did that really feel like for you in that moment as you were breaking free in some sense from the expectations of the culture or the expectations of the community that was around you at that time and the family. Talk to me about that.
1: Honestly, um, it was was nice in the sense of thinking to break free, but at the time of what you're going through and the words that are just being said to you, that you're neglecting your mom, that you're a bad daughter, um, you aren't supportive, you should be standing with your mom, just dealing with what's at hand, helping her. That I think was more harder to absorb than anything else. um, Because it kind of mentally breaks you down a little bit, right? You're already in a soft spot where you're like, oh, you don't want to ruin a relationship with your mom. And now all of a sudden, you're getting all this community backlash as well, right? And I wouldn't even say it was that far out of comfort. These were like family members, cousins, aunts, uncles, like, so and it was definitely at that point, I would say it was just extremely hard um, to hear. But as I healed and got myself into therapy, and really started working on myself. um, That's when I really felt like, wow, I did a good thing. I actually am so thankful that I stood my ground, because I don't think I would be where I am today. If I didn't take that step.
0: That's incredible. And if I haven't said this to you before in our working relationship together, the amount of strength truly that I hear through this story and see in you is is really profound. And I think you've maybe recognized that now, but to be that young and that kind of entrenched in not just the, the societal expectations around you, the community expectations but these are your actual parents. I mean, this is your origin story here. And we're talking about a really scary situation. So bravo to you for finding whatever that thing was where you had to speak up your voice. I mean, that's pretty powerful and brave and that's a tremendously like, I can't even, can't even find the words. What a great example for your children, for your daughters.
1: Yeah. Thank you. I think, now when I look at it, it's like, I'm happy that I did that. Mm -hmm. And I think that trickles into a lot of the other things that have progressed in life. Like I say, the corporate world, in-laws, all of that
0: Mm kind of
1: stems into, wow, I'm so thankful that now I have daughters and I've made
0: that impact to show them that you don't have to suffer. No. And it's amazing to me too, that the universe sort of gives you what you need to right. Like here you, you get two girls you're like, here you go. If you haven't resolved some of that. You're going to have to resolve it now. Like here's two For sure, five yeah. reasons to really get it together. Now you mentioned your corporate kind of career here. So let's move into that. Cause I think that's really key to your personal story and your why as well. After leaving university, of course, you headed straight into the career realm and you started where tell us about your career path.
1: So I was in, um, fitness and recreation, up until a year ago, until COVID started, actually. Um, And that, if you're familiar with the industry, it's very male-dominated, especially at the top, unfortunately. And so that once I started my career path in there and um, working up to upper management, I really noticed how toxic, in some ways, the culture was. It was like I needed to almost... Be so vocal. Um, keep my emotions out of it. It made me, I would say, um, a little. I had to have a harder approach. You know, it was like I needed to have some really thick skin to make sure my voice was going to be heard. What I was saying mattered. And you have to remember, I wasn't only a woman; I was a woman of color. Mm-hmm. So right. that even made a bigger impact. Um, and then I moved out to Alberta for my job at that point, and you know anything about Alberta being a woman of color in the fitness industry doesn't really go hand in hand so the amount of um you know I would say backlash that I was even getting there was even harder but at the end of the day I think the one thing that I always remembered is that if I I need to keep going because there's no looking back at this point Um, I need to just what I'm doing is right. I'm smart enough. I'm capable enough. Um, and just remembering all those things as I kind of tread it along to get to where I am. And I think um, it was just interesting to see that. I always felt like I had a lot of males that were constantly in some ways threatened by me um, because they were just like, okay, she's getting more confident. Whereas if you saw me when I first walked into the industry and now it's definitely been interesting, and um, we'll get into it, I'm sure, soon, but I think from switching from a co-ed industry, a heavily male-dominated now to a woman's industry is very different. I almost had to relearn
0: some things. That's incredible. So, and I'm going to take us back to the first thing you said here, too, which is that you had to sort of harden up in order to fit into whatever the kind of corporate structure was in place at that time in your first um kind of entrance into the corporate world would you define that as having to change who you were fundamentally in order to make it work
1: yeah for sure um like I said I really had to grow some thick skin that's not something that I came with I was generally a pretty sensitive person when topics would come up um I also wasn't very vocal I would say um I didn't really like confrontation but um I just learned that, you know what, if, in for me to make it in this industry, I'm, and to make it in this man's world, so call it is I'm going to have to learn how to be vocal, stand my ground and grow thick skin and keep emotions out of it. Because the last thing you were going to do is start crying in a boardroom and not get made fun of, you know, like, unfortunately. um, And that's where I think it's so different being in that industry, not even I would say that industry, but it being in a man's world versus working in a woman's organization where, you know, emotions are considered a little bit. um, Whereas I don't find that that's how it was in being in a male dominated industry.
0: Right. And that was, it was like the key to success and the key to kind of getting into positions that you would want to be in and, and ladder climbing and progressing your career was based on you having to literally be somebody that you were not. And that was multifaceted. As you said, it wasn't just the fact that you were a woman. It was also the fact that you were a woman of color. So there was multiple layers of challenge Mm -hmm. at play that you had to address. It's again, just another example of your tremendous bravery and something that happened in your career journey, in your corporate life, you, we talked before about having your beautiful baby girl. And after you had your beautiful baby girl, what happened for you and trying to navigate career and motherhood?
1: So I was seven months when I went back. um, And that was with my first baby. Um, You know, obviously Matt leaves a whole nother situation, but obviously when you have your lifestyle set to certain financial aspects, you need to obviously take that into consideration. So I went back at seven months and um, so here I am. Um, I was working in Vancouver at that point and I decided that I wanted to take a lateral transfer, but a lateral transfer was gonna mean that um, it was gonna come with a little bit of different, uh, a little bit of a different role. But in that point, um, we I was told um, from some of the higher ups that well, you know what? You're not going to actually get this role because now you're a mother Ugh. and um, your priorities have shifted. So and we need somebody here that's going to be able to take us out of the deficit that we're in and really help. And I was said, oh, okay. So because I'm a mother <laughs> that like, you know, and to be honest, I remember driving home. I was driving home from work that day. And when I got that call, it was almost like, a casual conversation. Like this, this is something I'm supposed to accept. So seven months. And I would say this is probably like a month being back at work. It might've not even been a month at that point. So I'm obviously very fragile at this point. I'm a new mom. Um, I'm back at seven months. Didn't even, um, I didn't have my full year. And now here I am driving back and have this conversation to be honest. It took me a while to kind of digest like of what was just being said to me. Um, I've always been a go-getter. I've never really been rejected from a position like that. And now to be like, oh, well, it almost felt like, oh, well, you have this baggage. So no, we're we're not going to give you this. And I was like, pardon? Um, So that obviously led
0: to a human rights issue. Um, Now, I'm going to pause here because you say that obviously led to a human rights issue, which it is a human rights issue, but... kind of plugging in this word, obviously not many women would actually, and that sounds disempowering. Let me rephrase that. I think that there's a lot of women who maybe have had to accept that that was just a casual conversation and they just drive home and they take that on and think, Is there anything that I can actually do about this? Is this an actual wrong thing that happened to me? Because we feel it in our gut, right? As women, we're so intuitive and we know anyway, even whether we know what the laws are, we do know that this is not right. There's something not right about this, but whether or not women feel they have the resources to act on this, or whether they feel they have the inner strength at that point to act on it, or whether or not they feel that they're going to be held back even further in their life and family and career for speaking up and for doing anything about that. Like there's a lot of things that, that challenge us. So yes, obviously a human rights issue, but in your case, you actually took this to the next level. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah. Um, like you said, all of that went through my mind. Of uh, If I ruffle feathers, am I going to lose my job? Is this the right move that I'm making? But it came down to, if I don't say something today, what am I doing for the next generation? What am I doing to empower women? What am I doing to empower my daughters? Mm. That's what really led me to actually take that next step because it was like, yeah, I could be quiet and say nothing and move forward and do my job as is. But is that really empowering even myself? No, it's not. That would mean that I'm just actually sitting still and I'm not really doing a service for anybody else. And I feel like, sometimes it's okay to be that, well, you could say that one bad apple, if that means that you're kind of fighting the good fight. Oh, and that is such a great
0: quote. Yeah. And, and, and I put bad in kind of air quotes here, because certainly there's nothing bad about speaking up, but be the bad apple in order to fight the good fight. That is brilliant. Yeah. And so um, that's exactly what happened. So
1: um, contacted employment lawyer and took that route of, Going on to file a human rights complaint because this was just, there was so much more. And I honestly feel like um, corporations need to be held accountable. I think, as much as we let them get away with quite a bit, that's what the culture accepts, right? And that's what stems into society. And I don't think that's what we need to change that. I think that, you know, as a woman, we already bear enough as a mother, a working woman. And I feel like to add this onto our plate, you know, it, I'm not less capable because I'm a mother no, and more capable. Frankly, the mother's eyes. Exactly, <laughs> honestly, it was, it's so true because yeah. I, after I became a mother that I honestly felt way more capable. I was way more patient. My time management was way better. Yes. Um, so, yeah. So I went on um, and ended up fighting a human rights complaint and, um, you yeah. know, winning at that point and things changed. Um, I stayed with the organization. Um, they stay, they thanked me and, you know, I still on good terms with them. So, but it was, it was, it wasn't easy. I'm not going to sit there and say it was easy because it's not right. You know, that in the back of your mind, you potentially can walk away and you can lose this job and, you know, kind of get blacklisted. But I felt like it was worth me risking at that point.
0: Yeah, and what I'm hearing here, and I'm I'm sure that the listeners are, are getting this too from what you said, and I actually wrote it down as you were talking, like your question to yourself, you went through all those challenging questions and perhaps not everybody has that path and maybe they can't go straight to human rights and they might make different choices for themselves, which are all correct, no matter what works for you and your family. But what you asked yourself was, what am I doing? to empower my daughters? What am I doing to empower other women? And really kind of rooting down into that. I'm reading this sign that's behind you in your office. It's like, work hard and stay humble. And what I hear is just this this service-oriented mission for you. It really wasn't about Genu in that moment. This was about what am I doing for my community, for women of color, for my daughters, for the next generation. If I don't fight these things, somebody at some point has to be the quote unquote, bad apple, right? Somebody has to make that change. I just think it's so, it's so inspiring.
1: Well, that's really the only way that change is ever going to happen, right? If we all sit status quo, change is never going to happen.
0: Yeah. And there are, and I keep saying this, I'm stumbling around it because I'm having a hard time articulating what I'm trying to say here, which is unusual for me, but you know, what day is it? Friday. It's a Friday. Who knows? Yeah. Like, I need more coffee. Um, but I think what I'm trying to say is that not everybody can do that. There are women in the world right now that are in those situations who are maybe potentially living in a domestic violence situation where they are not empowered by anyone or anything around them in order to have that conversation. And they're still hearing it. So the point I'm trying to make is that If or when somebody like yourself is like, in this moment in my world in life, I feel that I have either the voice, I'm able to articulate it well enough, I have the resources or at least the know-how to seek the help that I need, it puts kind of a responsibility in a way, I use that term very loosely, but it puts a responsibility on people who can to support the people who really in this moment cannot, so that we can make that change for the people who seriously cannot at this point.
1: I completely agree. And that's why I think if you have the strength within you, your one voice can impact another 10 that can't. That's and right. I think that's so important because it's like, you know what, you could be the one to lead the change. Yeah. And I think that was important because there was many coworkers um, in like that had many situations that were women and they weren't going to say anything because they know that, you know, it was just um, a scary thing and they didn't want to deal with that. And yeah. that was okay. I, I think that's completely fine. I think that's why I say there's always has to be the one app, op- the one bad apple that's fighting the good fight because that one bad apple that's fighting
0: the good fight is going to help the others too. Totally. This is for the whole tree, right? This isn't yeah. just for the one for sure. apple to shine a little bit brighter. Yeah, a little exactly. That's a very, very strange analogy that I just went with there. But yeah, I I absolutely love this. Now I want to, we've obviously talked about work a little bit in your backstory. I want to shift to home, your home life, because we're talking about work. We're talking about motherhood. We're talking about balancing those things, which is exceptionally difficult, especially during a pandemic. Let me just put that out there. Um, okay. and you and I have talked about this so much we could really probably do an entire episode on just work-life balance as mothers but Mm -hmm. just start us there like what is your personal life what does it look like because you're working full-time I mean this is no joke of a job that you have like this is a full-time job you have a side hustle now we've got two growing children how old are your daughters uh three and five three and five like you know (laughs) that's some crazy ages. And then you've got your husband, of course, who, you know, we like to at least have conversations with our spouses from time to time to put them into our mix. Just talk to me about this balance for you or what that means.
1: Honestly, um, it's hard. I'm not like, I don't, there's days that I'm obviously have my breakdowns and especially I would say during COVID it was chaotic. Um, But I would say the only reason that I've been able to do what I've been doing is time management and having a partner that understands. I think that that really plays into our home life being successful um, and understanding that we both mutually have a goal to do better. And I think that because of that, that's what's been able to kind of drive my home life to be a little bit more successful. Successful, I wouldn't say successful, but I would say cohesive and work together to make um, a bigger goal. So I would say definitely, I think I feel like every other woman in the sense that we always have so much on the go that you, I have my work. Obviously, we're cooking, we have laundry, we have the kids. Um, and also, I think having a support network, you know, they say it takes a village to raise children, and oh, I yeah. give. It out to my mom who helps us quite a bit, Um, and I have two wonderful sisters as well. So, that I think also plays into my home life. Um, But you know, like everybody else, I'm still has struggle with you have the arguments with your husband, you find that your kids are always going crazy, and I'm working from home. But honestly, with a schedule, that's the only way that I've been able to do everything is my life is very scheduled and right. That's why my friends honestly sometimes hate me for it because they feel like I never have time and they need to plan everything in advance. But that's the only way that I feel like I actually get anywhere and I'm somewhat successful.
0: Yeah. And this is, I mean, this is, I think the lesson of the pandemic. I don't even know if I want to call it a lesson, but it is the message that keeps coming through with most people I'm talking to, but most, especially mothers is there are people who are just not going to fit into the chaos right now. And that's Mm -hmm. been difficult, friends especially, right? We've had these big social circles. We can just, you know, run out in the street and have a walk with somebody, go for a coffee. You can have these connections where right now, like, we're just barely surviving. Like most people, and especially most mothers, my goodness, I'm going to do like a round table, I think, with moms. That's what I'm going to do. I just have this idea. we need a round table pandemic parenting table just (laughs) and I must say I have some more gray hair than I've ever probably had well I think I've been sharing on social media lately the grays that are growing in I actually had a, a stylist a hairdresser who had dm'd me when I was sharing my gray hairs and she said like Anna darling that is regrowth and it's not broken gray. It's regrowth. And I'm like, what is regrowth? Like, I don't know what that is. What are you talking about? And she said, your hair has been falling out because of stress. And this is the regrowth. And I'm like, oh, that was a multi-layered answer. Now I get it. I'm like, yeah, that makes perfect sense because it's true. My hair has quite literally been just falling out of my head because of the stress And now it's starting to regrow, which I guess is some sign of spring. I don't know, but it's regrowing completely and utterly gray. So I'm like, I don't know. Oh my gosh. My God, it's like the world. (laughs) changed. Anyway, I've gone completely off track what I was talking about with you here, but this work-life balancing, I'm telling you, and especially during a pandemic, it's chaos. And something you posted recently, I can't remember what day it was, but it was so funny and I laughed out loud on your social media account, was I didn't sign up to be Martha Stewart, yeah, it was like take or <laughs> something like this. Is- it's, you
1: have to let things go, right? That's one thing I will say in, in the balance, as much as we want to say, oh, we're good at everything. No, some things are gonna have to go. I'm not going to be able to get to dinner at 530 on table or, and I also think when I'm kind of going back into the partnership role is it's not my job as a woman to be the sole cooker and the care provider and all that like I, I think that's where me and my husband had those differences early on after having children sitting down and saying you know what we actually equally need to come to the table I'm not going to be taking this responsibility so we actually have our schedule set of like you're doing dinner this day and I'm doing dinner this day and some days we both don't want to do dinner and it's not my job to be Martha Stewart so paper plates and takeout it is and that's okay. <laughs>
0: And if the laundry's piling up, it's okay. (laughs) That's what I'm going to call this episode. Paper plates and takeout. (laughs) How how to not be Martha Stewart. (laughs) I I mean, I love Martha, but I tell you. Honestly, I feel
1: like sometimes on social media, especially, is that we end up making women feel really guilty for doing things like that. And that was my point of that post was why are you stop pretending like we all have our shit together at 5 6 PM for dinner. And we're serving on like color coordinated plates and all sitting around like this table. It's like, no, some days it's like, man, I'm just sitting on the floor with this big pile of laundry and I'm like (laughs) chowing down on a cheeseburger because that's all I've been able to eat all day, you know? And, and that's okay. And I find that we stop, we need to stop like
0: um, having this picture perfect life because it doesn't exist. Yeah. Like nobody uses the good China on Tuesday. Like, we yeah, is exactly. not a thing. Like we know it's, it's not a thing. So stop. Yeah. <laughs> it's so true. And so I
1: find true. that I, and I, I don't, I don't want to pick on those accounts or anything, but you oh, know, obviously um, I think the more real we are, um, I think that's important to put out in the world because and that's why I really find that anytime I'm trying to put anything out there, it's authentic to, myself and I hope other women and that's really important part important part of my platform.
0: Yeah and and we're going to talk about the platform a little bit more obviously I mean it's a really critical piece of why we're here today and having this conversation but one of the things you and I even talked about was like what kind of content does our audience want and we both agreed, it was like exactly what you talked about before, when we were talking about your human rights concern, you actually go through the checklist in your head of what are these questions. And every time you have that piece of content, you ask yourself, is this amplifying a woman's voice, empowering a woman? Is it do, is it addressing a woman's need? If not, we don't necessarily need it to live on the feed." And that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean, I'm going to put it in parentheses. like, so I feel like I have to make the excuse for it right now, but in case I get any, any DMS about this. But it doesn't mean that a beautifully curated feed is not an expression of a woman's art. It certainly is. And especially if you're a home decor expert or a designer or somebody who works in the style industry. I mean, certainly that's something that is showcasing your work and we never want to silence that, but to have the, just some contrast as well. And to see that life sometimes is paper plates and takeout. And we really need to understand that we're not alone, right? This is why our hair falls out for goodness sakes, because we're trying so hard to be anything other than what's just happening in the moment.
1: It's so true. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think like i say there's a lot of stuff that sometimes people don't understand that happens behind the scenes when we're talking about home life just the chaoticness um you know for me i I think i talked about this the other day on my platform was like in-laws like there's a lot of that that causes mental health like raising kids and so i always feel like as much as we want to portray our life as perfect it's not it's far from and i think sometimes it's good to share those stories too because they're relatable
0: yeah, and and I think more so relatable. I'm going to kind of pivot back to the uh, cultural conversation a little bit here too, because I know you're a strong voice for raising your daughters in a different way than you were raised for so many reasons, as we've already talked about. Um, but one in particular is is really breaking through some of these more restrictive cultural traditions. And you mentioned in-laws, which is different for the South Asian community. That relationship is different than it is in the white community, for example, not always, but in many ways, that relationship plays a different role in your world. Can you tell me a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, for sure. So obviously, culturally, um, it's believed that the families marry one another. Um, In my particular case, my parents were not as traditional, I would say, as my husband's parents. And um, walking in, they really believe that the daughter-in-law should be um, really, I would say beneath their their son in the terms of like, she should kind of run the household. Um, she needs to live with the in-laws. She needs to kind of do the cooking, the cleaning, the very like old school, traditional hmm. mindset. And um, in my case, when I got married, I would say right off the bat, I was honestly never really accepted. Um, I lived on my own, right? So right off there, I was already... Kind of blacklisted, right? So it was like, "What do you mean she lives on her own?" And I remember my mother-in-law calling my mom and saying, "Oh, do you guys have family problems, or like, why why is she on? Why is she living on her own? What's wrong with her?" Oh. Okay. And I was, you know, I was like that. That's just, and honestly, that was I would say probably the starting point that it was like, the amount of judgment of like what I was wearing. Um, what I was doing with my children. And it was just, and the funny thing is we never lived with them, right? And so and that obviously that alone um,
0: caused a lot of grief for them. Oh, cause is that, is that, um, re- or I, I'm not going to use the word required, but that's actually typical.
1: Yeah, that's very typical is that as soon as you get married. So it's very typical for a, the, the woman to live with her parents until she gets married. And then when she gets married, she lives with her in-laws. So there's never really a time for her to be herself. Wow. Because she goes from her parents' home straight to her in-laws' home. And um, for me, I, I didn't want that, right? For me, I broke tradition already because I lived on my own. My husband got married and moved in with me. So um, so <laughs> <Just a couple laughs> layers here. <laughs> exactly. So there was a lot. So they were like, you know, and we lived together before marriage. So there was definitely a few layers of like breaking those Um, traditions, I would say, or what they thought, what they thought was going to happen with their son. And, um, and it was funny, because I was just like, wow, you're completely judging me on a situation. And they had never really even sat down and had a full conversation with me before judgment was passed. Um, And it was really interesting. I remember one of the first like couple weeks, it was like, she had asked me about cooking or something. And I was like, what, why are you talking to me about this? Why are you asking your son if he cooks or what he does? And I thought that was just bizarre to say the least. And then I think when after I had my children, it, it was even progressively worse. I, I'll never forget. I was uh, one one week postpartum after C-section. Um, first baby on both sides. I, I didn't have any friends that had babies at that time. And She goes to me and I had some like laundry sitting in one of the rooms. She's like, doesn't it bother you that your house is so messy? (laughs) 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 You know, I would say that was like, it was just really interesting to see how much, like even though I didn't live with them, how much they wanted to interject themselves constantly into our relationship. And I would say culturally, like that affected um, my mental health. And for a lot of South Asian women, I wouldn't even say it was like me alone but I think that because they interject themselves so much it causes a little bit of a rift between obviously the husband and wife and having those difficult conversations and I would say for the first couple of years I used to cope by talking through my husband I'd be like well you need to talk to your mom about this you need to talk to your mom about that but honestly, at that point, it wasn't until like uh, a few years in that I was like, I'm actually doing a disservice. I need to actually own up to how I'm feeling because it's really impacting me Wow. and um, creating that boundary. So we had a sit down conversation it, when it was a really raw conversation, my strength, my emotion behind it, just voicing exactly how I felt and how we were going to move forward because I was like, I can't deal with this anymore this is bullying behavior and this is toxic and you're not the sad thing is I was like you you want to see your son happy well then stop being the way that you're being and um and again another hard conversation but I felt like the boundary there was so important for me to put out because I was like this is not only gonna again not only impacting me you're impacting my children because every time that I'm in a bad mood, or you've said something to me and my husband's in a bad mood. Now it's, our kids are seeing that. And I'm like, that's
0: not healthy at all hmm This is, this is big. I mean, that's really brave. I keep using this word for you, which I'm sure the listeners too are like, wow, what, what does this girl have for breakfast? Like <laughs> what she's having, like just using your voice and really speaking up is what comes through here. It's a resounding message from all of these different moments in your life. And I'm wondering deeply, and, I, and maybe other people are wondering this too, where do you think that comes from for you? Having witnessed what appears to be, at least on the surface, a really difficult dynamic for women growing up, witnessing them in, in a position that feels like they are not even feels like they're literally having violence perpetrated against them. Where does this come from for you? This speaking up?
1: Honestly, I think it comes from my mom's side So my grandpa, my mom's dad only had three daughters Um, And they all were educated. They all went to school. And at that time in India, women weren't educated. They all went and got their university degrees. Um, And I think that's where it was important for me to realize that a woman is not less than. And I think that's where I would say it stemmed from. Obviously, like I said, my mom is a very strong woman in what she's encountered in her life. I think that's just kind of carried on to me, obviously not so much with the domestic violence, but the rest of her and her ambition and her, um, strength. And like, she's a businesswoman, She, um, is very empowering. Like she was, she was one of the ones that said to me, um, early on, and I'll never forget it is you will not get married until you can stand on your own two feet.
0: You, you will, will not, not get married until you can stand on your own two feet. Wow.
1: Meaning that you will never depend on a male for anything. Um, and that stuck with me, and that was important to me. I wasn't going to get married until that I knew that I could buy a home myself, that I could fund myself. And so that was, I would say that's definitely where I think it came from. Um, and, I, and I think, like I said, um, when you're raised in a household like that, you kind of have to develop a little bit of thick skin. Sometimes I find that you end up either going, becoming just like that, And you think that's acceptable or you kind of change directions of not. And obviously over the years of doing a lot of therapy, a lot of counseling, I think definitely made me become stronger and just coping with everything that life has thrown at me. I think the more barriers you kind of go through, the stronger you end up being.
0: Yeah. And how is mom now?
1: Oh, she's great. I think our relationship, like I said, definitely was rocky at that point. She's great. She's, she's awesome. Um, And honestly, for a lot of my strength, I would say comes from her. A lot of um, even my girl's strength comes from her. Um, And I think, like I say, it's very important to have a strong group of women that sometimes surround you because if you fall, they're able to catch you. And I think that's, um, has been really important to me. Like I say, my sisters and my mom are definitely like pillars of strength for me. So I know if there's something wrong in my life and I'm kind of falling that they're going to be there to help pick me up.
0: That is really incredible. Thank you for sharing all of this, by the way, you are such an incredible role model and that role modeling for all of this at work and at life and at heart, um, which is your philanthropic work. We're going to talk about that a little bit too, uh, really lives on this new platform this new website, which we are launching, genukaylee.com. Why did you want to move your voice in a new way, online, put yourself out there in this way? I mean, certainly you are very successful in your own right as a career person, you have um, a lovely home, you have two beautiful daughters, you are from the outside, at least looking in, we're like, she's got it all together, it looks great, which I know is always a bit of a fallacy, but you've got it all together. (laughs) And then you were like, no, there was this deeper calling, there was something else there where I wanted to share my story, I wanted to share what I've been through, in order to, as we talked about at the top, amplify women's voices, really address women's issues. And here we have this beautiful website launching the social media, which is just beautiful display of all of your personal passions, tell me about what you hope for this new platform and this business.
1: Yeah, I, my whole reasoning for starting this is I feel like so many of us women have so many stories we've encountered and so much strength behind us of what we've overcame. And, but I feel like we're also so embarrassed of sometimes sharing those stories because we don't know if another woman's going through it. So, you know, when we talk about, like, we don't openly like to talk about fertility. We don't like to talk about human rights cases. What's kind of happening to us in the corporate world, what's happening to us in our home lives. And I feel like, because we're so afraid of being judged. Mm -hmm. And my thought on this was to say, well, let's all put our stories out there and like pull together as women to help one another and realize that, you know what's kind of stand in solidarity versus judgment and being afraid to share our stories, because I think our strength together is going to be one way that we can rule the world, instead of us actually kind of working against each other. And I find that we don't need to have that judgment. Um, We're all going through many of the same things. So let's come together and chat about those things. And I felt like I was able to share my stories and other women would be able to share their stories and feel comfortable and kind of lean on each other for support and, um, and mentorship. Right. I think that was a big, so that's a really a big part of my platform on the why and um, just having that strength, I think behind it for women and really kind of being a voice for women, especially if maybe they don't want to share their stories on a public platform they can at least share it with me that I could put out there anonymously.
0: Yeah, that's great. So if you were to share somebody else's story and amplify that story, what kind of stories are you hoping women will come to you with, whether or not they want to be public about it or whether or not they want to be mentored by you? I know you do a lot of mentorship work with women and certainly aspire to do more of that. What are you hoping to accomplish for those women?
1: A lot of the stories that I've kind of shared, like, what your home life feels like with in-laws, being a working woman, the balance, um, transitioning careers, I find that that's not an easy one for women, too. We sometimes get embarrassed about talking about our careers um, because we feel like, oh, if we were let go, we shouldn't talk about it. That's kind of embarrassing versus, no, let's talk about what's actually happened behind the scenes.
0: Right,
1: And just... I would say all of like the stuff that's going on in society, like I say, like with all, even the South Asian culture, um, some of the things that we have to overcome, I want that racism, I want that to be on the platform of all the things that women bear, like motherhood, what it feels like to be a working mother. I think that alone um, is a topic to really um, unravel because I don't think that's an easy one um and just really i would say even finances i know that for a lot of women that's a hard topic because they feel like it's not something that they feel powerful with but i want more women to feel independent and empowered to be able to do anything they can they want to do they don't have to yeah. look to a man to deal with the financials they could deal with it um so that is my hope in this platform of really unraveling some topics that I know that all women are going through um, but we're almost sometimes afraid to talk about it or share it but I feel like again when we say we're fighting the good fight is that for me it's worth unraveling those topics because it's going to help one other woman and if I can help one other woman I've done my job.
0: Yes. And this really brings us back to what we were saying at the top about this being a really dynamic episode. Why is it a dynamic episode? Because women are dynamic and the challenges that we face are also dynamic. This is about the multi-layers of challenge and oppression and barriers that women face, we have to deal with all of them. We can't just look at one particular topic because we are dynamic individuals. And I mean, even yourself, you say, I was a woman in the corporate world, in a man's world, and also a woman of color. That's two things kind of off the top. But also then you had the dynamics happening in your home with your in-laws. You had the dynamics happening with your backstory. You had the dynamics happening when you became a mother, And having to find that work-life balance with your children. I mean, we are just multifaceted individuals, but so much more. My goodness, I'm just so, I'm so proud of this platform. I'm so proud of it. It's so
1: true. We are really dynamic. And I find that we, honestly, um, as much as we like to say that society was built for women, it was not built for women. And I think that's unraveling that and discussing that um, is how we're going to lead to change and kind of, Again, standing in solidarity saying, you no, know, change needs to happen. No longer will we deal with sexism and degrading women.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and even, I mean, social issues too. You're a big, we have mentioned this a few times. We're going to talk about your philanthropic work, but I just want you to talk to me about what is the core cause that you're really focused on right now? What's in your heart that you really want people to pay attention to? Um, Definitely domestic violence is,
1: domestic violence is one of them. Um, We also have our farmers fight in India. That um, is something that I'm really passionate about that I want people to pay attention to.
0: And tell us a little bit more about that, the farmers fight, just for anybody who is not quite up to date with that.
1: Yeah, so right now, pretty much there was three laws that were passed down in India that Are not helpful to farmers livelihood and they already are struggling there um, to make a living wage Um, and many of them are committing so much like suicide um, just mental health is big there just because of what they're they have so much debt that and so there's really their livelihoods are at stake here and so um, they're still protesting on the front lines and they have been in I want to say since last November, don't quote me on that, but it's been a long time that they've been out there, and a lot of them are elderly. But they feel that if they were to go back home, that and just deal with these laws, they have no chance of livelihood. And I think, and so that's one of the causes that I'm really passionate about. I still have roots in India. I still have a lot of family in India, so I definitely still feel very empathetic towards the situation of what's happening,
0: um, and and want to help. You co- also come from a farming family, correct? Or- yeah. Yeah. So my parents um, here have had
1: farms for over 22
0: years.
1: Um, and like my husband's side, they still own their farms back in India. And I still have a lot of cousins, aunts and uncles out there that are still farming. And if these laws don't get taken back, they, their livelihoods really are on the line. And that's scary because I know there is a lot of thought like, oh well you know you guys are here and you can fund them well no, that's that's not it's really easy to say but a lot of us here are just getting by too so for us to go and be like well you know, we could just fund them over there no that that's not how it works right like there's a, we can maybe fund them temporarily but long term no that's not a solution
0: yeah and, farm, and farming is not just a, an india thing like, let's just be, no. really need to put this out there. It's not only is it everywhere, it's also an essential service. Like if, if we're not supporting farmers, what are we supporting? This is, this is what it's, we literally eat. Yeah. And ours, and exactly, even from here and even from
1: India, like a lot of people think, well, it's in India. Why is that happening? All the spices that we eat, like, and I laugh because I always see everyone's like, oh, I'm drinking a turmeric latte. I'm drinking a chai tea latte. Where do you think those spices come from to make that? And right. so it's like kind of looking back at you know where does this and like you said farming already here is not a lucrative business so just imagine in a third world country right and um and that's why exactly like my parents got out of it but I say my parents were had the privilege right like they are privileged to be in Canada and get themselves out in India they don't have a fallback plan and many of them are not educated that is their bread and butter that's the only thing they know so imagine being like 70 and trying to go back to school, no, that's that's not really a solution.
0: Yeah. And there's so much cross so, to what as you just mentioned, and it's so important that you just said that. I, I am so grateful for that, share. Like, this is not food that is only eaten in India. Like, we have yeah. to understand that this is actually having an impact on the soil we literally live on and the food that you literally eat here. This is, you know, if we're not supporting farmers in India were not supporting eating in Canada. Correct. Yep, exactly. It's very important. And we, we, and there is a link on your website that people can go for a little bit more information and to donate to causes that you support, which I know is super important to you is to really um, funnel people through to causes that are deeply important to you again, staying humble and in service, which is part of your brand as well and your mission. Um, Gosh, this interview has just been More dynamic than I even expected it would be. It's so beautiful, Ginu. You are just an absolute dream, honestly, to have on here. Your bravery, the way that you share your voice, the way that you speak up, not just for yourself, but for others, is really, really inspiring. And I hope you know how just brave you are. I can't come up with another word. I need a thesaurus right now. You're just so brave. In the most beautiful way, which is, and we've talked about bravery on this podcast before, it's not fearlessness. It's really, it's really being with the shame and the stigma and the fear and the things that could happen, the challenges all around you and just finding another reason to keep going. It's really, thank you
1: so much. You make me feel so great after saying all that, but honestly, like I say, I'm not, I'm not any better than any other woman. I just feel that if I could help them, that I've done my job. Like I say, if I can make a difference in another woman's life, I've done my job. And um, like it, I know what it feels like to have daughters and raise daughters and bring them into the world. And I think that if we can make a better place for women, then we all will just be that much happier.
0: There is really no better way to wrap this episode than with that beautiful nugget of wisdom. Thank you, Ginu, for being here today. Thanks. I promised you a dynamic episode. And my goodness, my mind is absolutely blown. Ginu is just one of those rare human beings that, do you know, I can't even remember how I first met her a couple of years back. And as soon as I met her, I remember thinking, this is a woman that could truly kind of change the world in a big way. So I'm so grateful um, for her presence here on the podcast today and really talking about this idea of not just speaking up, which we did discuss is hard for people. And if we didn't mention, she did actually win her human rights case. I don't know if we even said that, but let me plug that here. She won that human rights case at her employer or gains her employer. So that's really powerful. And not everybody is in a position and not every woman is in a position where they feel that they can speak up. And that's really why Gino and I have this conversation today because when the timing is right, as I said at the beginning, when the timing is right and it will be, it's different for everybody, then we will be here. There are people here who care about you. There are people here who know and understand at least some degree of the things that you're facing in your world. So if you're out there listening and thinking, I'm terrified, I am up against tremendous stigma in my family or in my community, just know that you are not alone. And when the time is right, you will also have an opportunity to share your story. There's always a time and place. And sometimes it's anonymous, as Ginu said. Sometimes it's just reaching out to somebody else who has a platform and has moved through some challenge and really sharing that story with them and allowing them to be right in front of you, to stand in front of you in the time that you need to be a little bit quieter. So all of that is okay. Every layer and level of who we are as women and especially as mothers, is okay. You are enough exactly as you are. I could say that over and over and over again, but it's really about being true to you, embracing who you are, embracing those cultural traditions, but also breaking the ones that don't feel right to you. No matter where you come from, real truth, real connection, real storytelling. Until next time thank you for joining this edit of the unapologetic stories podcast if you're ready to share your truth and rewrite your personal life story connect with me at unapologeticstories.com for all the details on speaker training storytelling and strategizing your way through this one big life If you've enjoyed listening, we would love for you to leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast listening app or Apple podcast. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Unapologetic Anna for new speaker training start dates. Until next time, stay brave, stay unapologetic, and keep bringing in your truth.